You ready? Showtime. On May 3rd, summer starts with the fall guy. Let's do it later. Let's drink a spicy margarita. Make some bad decisions. Yes! Audiences are falling in love with the most entertaining film of the year. Fall guy. Fall guy. Fall guy. That's what the poster said. See Ryan Gosling and Emily Blunt in the movie critics say exists to make you happy. Trying to make it out? Because nope. I don't either. It's not what I'm into right now. What are you into? Talking. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the Fall Guy. Only in theaters May 3rd. Rated PG-13. Out of necessity and reality, America was originally designed for families consisting of men, women, and children. Men voted because a vote represented a united family that believed the Bible's instruction that men were called to be leaders of their families and marriage represented the unification of man and woman into one. This whole feminist movement is a rejection of a biblical worldview. I'm not arguing that women should return to or stay in the kitchen. I'm arguing that women should quit pretending American men executed a diabolical plot to deny them freedom, agency, and happiness. Happy Thursday and welcome. Welcome to Fearless with Jason Whitlock. I am Jason Whitlock, your host. Uh, we have a fantastic, awesome show uh, planned for you today. Guess who's in studio with me? Jill Savage. Jill, uh, welcome back. Uh, you brighten up the studio, you brighten up my day. It's great to have Jill here. She's gonna be joined by Shamika Michelle, TJ Moe, and Steve Kim today as I expound on uh, the conversation we started yesterday uh, about Brittany Griner. Uh, I'm now going to expand that conversation and I need Jill here, I need Shamika, I need TJ Moe, I need... Uh, because we're gonna take this conversation a lot of places. And uh, so as good as I thought yesterday's show was, I think this one's gonna be even better. Uh, so let's get this fire started and then I'll start bringing in these fearless contributors and we'll fan the flames and uh, we'll have a great show. Uh, we're living in the mad women era. Hillary Clinton is Don Draper. Megan Rapinoe is Roger Sterling. Stacey Abrams is Pete Campbell. Surely you watched Mad Men the critically acclaimed AMC TV series about the sexist and entitled men who ran Sterling Cooper ad agency. Draper, Sterling, and Campbell drank heavily, bedded their employees, and came up with catchy slogans to justify and promote smoking cigarettes, eating fast food, buying overpriced foreign cars, and smothering food in ketchup. Dang, I read that list and I was like, I bought into every slogan they <laughs> <laughs> Foreign cars, ketchup, the fast food, the whole nine. Uh, well, I didn't smoke. Anyway, uh, Mad Men cleverly demonized the 1950s and 1960s by simply shining a light on the sinful behavior of men in the workforce. Don Draper was the anti-Jim Anderson, the fictional insurance agent in the show Father Knows Best. Draper cheated on his wife and ignored his children while chasing career success. Most culture critics would say Mad Men exposed more truth than Father Knows Best. 
The critics might be right, but I would argue we've learned nothing from our past mistakes. We're not evolving, we're simply repeating our failures. We've replaced mad men with mad women. The entitled emotions of women currently rule America. Women believe they're owed a debt, reparations. They've been collecting that debt for the last 50 years through emotional blackmail. This era reminds me of the Virginia Slims ad campaign, you've come a long way, baby. You can see it in the sports world. It started with the 1972 passing of Title IX legislation. The feminist movement cast women as black people in need of civil rights protection. Title IX piggybacked the 1964 Civil Rights Act that outlawed discrimination based on race, color, religion, and sex. The history and treatment of women and black people in America are not analogous, nor are they linked. Feminists, particularly white feminists, portrayed themselves as the new black so they could benefit from discrimination they did not endure. Let me give you an example of how this manifests itself. <clears throat> Megan Rapinoe, Brittany Griner, and other female professional athletes believe they should be paid the same as their male counterparts. WNBA players complain that they are grossly underpaid because of America's history of sexism. Griner, one of the WNBA's best players, earns $221,000. Meanwhile, LeBron James earns more than $40 million from the Lakers. In the minds of feminists, the enormous disparity can only be explained by America's sexist history. All right, well, hold on. How wide is the disparity between LeBron's skills and Brittany Griner's? The WNBA is just 26 years old and has never come remotely close to turning a profit. The NBA is 76 years old. Was there ever a time in the NBA's history where the league was annually losing millions of dollars and paying its players $221,000? I'll wait. No, there was never a time when that happened. The WNBA is a charity subsidized by the NBA. The WNBA exists out of the goodwill and benevolence of men. We hear constant complaints about WNBA stars having to play overseas during the offseason to earn larger salaries and supplement their income. American male professional athletes used to work as mailmen, construction workers, factory laborers during their offseasons. In the infancy of the NFL and the NBA, nearly all of the players had off-season jobs and some of them worked second jobs during the season. No one is asking Brittany Griner to do anything male athletes haven't done. It's what you do to build a business. But we've been convinced that women are owed a debt that women were mistreated for generations and generations, and that we must fast track their success and pay because we undermined it for hundreds of years. It's not true. I'm not arguing women face no unfairness. I'm arguing that the customs and roles formerly played by women were a result of necessity, not unfairness. Let me explain. Let's go all the way back to 1776 and the founding of this nation. There were no cars, no airplanes, no grocery stores, no DoorDash, no Instacart. 
If you wanted to eat, you had to farm and do really hard labor. If you wanted to feel any measure of safety in your home, there needed to be a man in the house. Just like now, women and girls, generally speaking, came out of the womb smaller and weaker and with less capacity to make up the size and strength deficit between the genders. Man was necessary for the survival of women. Plus, men and women at that time used the Bible as a guide for the roles of men and women. The Bible teaches that God created men first and instructed man to seize dominion over everything that inhabits the earth. The men of that generation took note of the Bible, acknowledged the physical differences between men and women, and factored in the realities of what it took to survive in their era and developed customs and roles that made sense for what they knew and what technology was available at the time. What we now call sexism was just a reflection of the reality the founders knew. As reality changed, as technology advanced, American men adjusted American customs and roles. Feminists look at history and see evil men. I see men who reflected their reality. I see men who accepted the responsibility of manhood and the sacrifices that went along with those realities. I see men who sacrificed their health and lives to advance America and women. Here's an example. During the Civil War, the disparity between the life expectancy of men and women increased sharply. Men died young during the Civil War. Our life expectancy dropped to around age 35. Women lived to around age 41. In the years before the Civil War, the life expectancy of men and women were about the same. The tradition of men dominating the workforce, workforce started because work used to be really, really hard. Women could not do and did not want to do much of the paid labor that was available in the 1800s and at the start of the Industrial Revolution. Let's go back to 1776. An attractive woman did not have the option of reading words on a teleprompter for millions of dollars. There were no assembly lines, no executive vice presidents in charge of diversity, inclusion, and equity, no social media managers. Sexism did not keep women unemployed or underemployed. Reality did that. Men do not owe women an apology. We do not owe reparations. Out of necessity and reality, America was originally designed for families consisting of man, woman, and children. Men voted because a vote represented a united family that believed the Bible's instruction that men were called to be the leaders of their family, and marriage represented the unification of man and woman into one. The whole feminist movement is a rejection of a biblical worldview. I'm not arguing that women should return to or stay in the kitchen. I'm arguing that women should quit pretending American men executed a diabolical plot to deny them freedom, agency, and happiness. 
This entire mad women era is built on lies and distortions of truth even more preposterous than the lies and distortions of Black Lives Matter. Mm. Uh, that's my fire. Uh, I want to take a moment before I bring Jill into this discussion and just, I, I, I hope that, that I've made myself crystal clear in, in trying to give you a new way to look at history and how we got here. Because uh, the feminist movement and leftists and atheists, people that want a secular world, have, have told everybody and, and convinced everyone that everything that happened in the past was a result of the wickedness and the evil nature of man. And it's just not true. And it's just people today trying to advance their careers and advance themselves by pretending they're victims of a wickedness that happened a hundred years ago. There are kernels of truth in that as it relates to descendants of slaves in America. Kernels of truth, it's not an absolute truth. I, I, am, I am not a victim and my life hasn't been diminished because I descended from slaves. The, the reality is, based on the reality of 2022 is, I am lucky that I am a descendant of American slaves. That's a fact. I don't care how it makes me sound, how it makes me look, what people over Twitter will say, but there's a reason why all the complaining black people there's a reason why Jesse Jackson never hopped on an airplane and moved to another country. There's a reason why Al Sharpton at gunpoint would not leave this country and renounce his American citizenship because he knows he's lucky that he was born here and lives here and is a descendant of American slaves. Lucky. This is the safest, fairest place on earth for black people. That is an undeniable fact. Don't let them recreate history. Don't let them lie to you about the reality of today. What I gotta give these feminists credit for is they looked and look what black people have done. Ooh, look at that civil rights act that again was appropriate in my view and necessary based on America's racial history at that time. But the feminists said, you know what? If we can pretend like we went through slavery, if we can pretend like we were denied job opportunities out of the brutality and the sexism and the evil nature of white men, we can now use that in 2022, we can use it in 2017, we can use it in 1995, we can use it to advance our careers and get opportunities and demand things we have not earned. That's what Brittany Griner and Megan Rapino, their whole lives are built around that. The WNBA is a charity organization. It's big brothers, big sisters. 
The average worker at Big Brothers Big Sisters doesn't make two hundred twenty thousand. It's a charity. They probably make forty or fifty thousand dollars. It's a charity. The WNBA, a lot of these women's sports, the whole Megan Rapinoe and the soccer thing. It's like they're paying their dues. They're acting like uh, male athletes didn't have a tradition of paying their dues and not making a lot of money when their leagues weren't all that profitable. And their leagues were profitable and they were still getting paid. I think uh, Wilt Chamberlain and, and Bill Russell in 1965 made 100,000 apiece. Bill Russell made 101,000. He wanted $1 more than Wilt Chamberlain in 1965. And that money today is around $600,000. Good living, but not generational wealth. And again, the NBA was turning a profit at that time. It wasn't some charity where they were paying guys $100,000 a year out of the goodness and the benevolence of sports fans or ownership. Th this entire entitlement era that we're living in is a joke. This country has not been perfect, but it's been fair. And I'm sorry if that makes me sound like I'm an idiot. And, and again, I, even, and I'll envelope slavery into this. Slavery at the beginning of America, whether you consider it 1776 or if you like the New York Times and you're a nut job and want to call it 1619, slavery was a global phenomenon. The whole world was basically involved with slavery. And African people, again, despite what you've been told, White people did not go over to Africa with guns and go capture slaves. White people rode boats over to Africa and bought slaves from black people who were in the tradition for years, hundreds of years of selling each other into slavery. That was the time they lived in. Black people in Africa captured other black people and sold them into slavery around the world. There's not an ethnic or racial group in existence on this planet that was not a victim of slavery at some point in their lifetime. But I, I just bring all that up to, to talk about the brilliance of the feminist movement for, look, whoa, the grievance industry is working well for black people. Uh, the elites are using the grievance industry to advance themselves in their careers. They don't care about the black masses. They're just using it to advance. And so female elites, athletes, politicians, uh, the elite educated are using grievance to advance their career. And we got all these mad women running around I'm owed something and damn it, I better get it. And how come I'm not making millions of dollars playing in the WNBA? Because no one likes the WNBA. It's not popular. It doesn't draw an audience. That's why.
And it's not because men are sexist scum. And if, if we had started ba women's basketball in 1946 or whatever, or whenever the NBA launched, the WNBA would be more popular. The skills aren't the same. No one wants to see Brittany Griner play basketball because it doesn't look as beautiful and it's not as skilled as when LeBron James plays basketball. That's a fact. Uh, Jill, gonna bring you into this conversation. Am, am I just a terrible sexist pig? Am I drawing the wrong conclusions from history? Do, do we owe you guys a debt? I mean, if you're a terrible sexist pig, then so am I, I guess. <laughs> I agree with so much of what you had to say because we are obsessed now with looking at our reality today and making that, okay, in the 60s, it had to be true too then. And if it wasn't, you're all, they're all terrible people because it wasn't like that in the 60s. Well, no, it was a different world at that time. And we have to allow for growth in a society. And we just don't do that, right? If you look back and you look at the division between men and women in the workforce, until the 1970s, families could operate on one single income. That was a completely different world than what we have right now with inflation and everybody going out and, you know, hey, if your kids can go out there, you know, your teenagers can make some money right now, I bet you want them to do that right? Like everybody should be contributing because the dollar has fallen off so far. But when you look back at that time, that wasn't the case. And it's just this necessity for us to make everything in the past like we have right now. One of the points I'm trying to hammer is that uh, there's a belief or an assumption like men dominated the workforce because men were evil and they forbid women from entering the workforce. And, and I'm like, no, no, no. That tradition started because labor was so hard before all these technological advances and what it took to survive, uh, you know, the hunting, the riding a covered wagon and horseback across the country. Just for better or for worse, women couldn't do it without a man. And they couldn't have fed themselves without a man. They wouldn't feel safe in their homes without a man. And so much of the labor that was available when these traditions and customs started weren't really appropriate for women. And so that's where the tradition came from. And then as soon as there were technological advances and a need, and women were able, my mother worked on an assembly line in a factory. She could do it. And she could do it as well as men because of the technological advances. And she got paid, as far as I know, the same as the men that did the same job. She was in the union and fought for that or whatever and earned that. I, I just, and so there's this belief that we can snap a finger and pass a law and everybody just catches up overnight. And, and that's what we should do. We owe that to women because we denied them. And that's just not, I, I don't feel taking history into totality. I just don't feel like American men have given American women 
a bad deal. Was it a perfect deal? No. But a bad deal, I just don't, I just don't, I'm not on board with that. No, and I'm not, I would not classify myself as a feminist. I would say I'm an anti-feminist. Um, I grew up believing that I could go out and do whatever I wanted to do and live a great life. And, you know, if I worked hard enough, I would get the, the rewards. But I don't feel like I would need to go out and say, okay, well, if, if I can't have this job, then you can't either. Or somehow if you put me down, so I didn't get that job, right? Like that, that, that never computed in my mind. I looked at America and I always saw land of the free, opportunities everywhere. You can see immigrants coming over. If they can do it, anybody here can build themselves up as well. And it's just one of those things that, you know, capitalism is going to tell you if it's going to work or not with the WNBA, if your ratings are good enough, you will have that commercial success. But you were mentioning Wilt Chamberlain. And I know a ton of NBA players that played in the 80s and early 90s. And they aren't they they maybe made a couple million dollars over the totality of their career, but they never made huge money. And now all these women are coming in and saying, well, you owe that to me. But the, the reality of it is you have to work for that. You have to get the ratings. You have to get the shoe deals, the endorsement deals, everything else, all the marketing dollars that go along with that. And it's just it, it's growing for that sector, but it's not at the level of, you know, even Michael Jordan was playing for two million dollars in the 90s. And you think Michael Jordan, the best of all time. And Brittany Griner, I understand she's she's going over and playing in Russia and trying to get more money. That's a sacrifice. Len Dawson was a quarterback of the Kansas City Chiefs. He was also the sports anchor in Kansas City forever. People did this before, and I don't think that they were complaining at that time saying, oh, how unfair yeah. this is for me that I have to go out and play in the NFL and work as a sportscaster as well. That, again, is my, this anger, this debt, this reparations, that people are saying they are owed. And, and capitalism proves, let's use Serena Williams and women's tennis as an example. When the success and the popularity is there, the endorsement monies, the, the prize money in tennis reflects that like the women's game is, seems to be just about as popular as the men, if not sometimes more popular. And off the court, the women tend to make more money uh, than the men in tennis. And on the court, they either make nearly the same amount of money or maybe even more. I would bet that, you know, I, I wonder if there's any American man that has made more money than Serena Williams through the sport of tennis, when I'm talking about as a player and in endorsements. Uh, and then when you toss in the... Anna Kornikovas and the other women or what they're they're killing it and so I, I can't it's it's if the success is there if the profitability is there capitalism will take care of these female athletes but if the television ratings aren't there and the interest is isn't there it just won't and if 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 people don't enjoy watching uh, women's professional basketball as much as they do the NBA I, I'm just I'm sorry it, it, it's look 
uh, as it relates to modeling, don't female models make a ton more, for, pardon my language, than male models? All you have to do is look at the Sports Illustrated Swimsuit Magazine. You go back, early days, that was the standard of beauty, right? Look at the standard of beauty now, and they have the overweight model on the cover of Sports Illustrated, and they're doing that to make a point. And, you know, they have people that would be viewed as unattractive in society now that they are putting in the Sports Illustrated swimsuit magazine just to say, okay, here it is. And I look at this and it reminds me, so I, I was a Rush baby. Rush Limbaugh has 35 undeniable truths of life. And Rush Limbaugh's number 24 is, I will stand by this until I die. Feminism was established as to allow unattractive women access to mainstream society. Look no further than Lena Dunham, right? Like Lena Dunham in the, in the old days would not have had a star show in a hit show on HBO. But she does now because of feminism and the, the amount of opportunities in America that, that, okay, listen, we have to go along with this feminist narrative. The show was never that good. It was a knockoff of Sex in the City, which had already been done. It was all bad. There was nothing original, groundbreaking, or shattering for it. Yet, we were all supposed to sit out here and like praise Lena Dunham because she did something. Uh, I'm, I'm interested, you're a Rush Limbaugh. You don't know all 35 truths, did you? I mean, there's a lot of them, yeah. A lot of them are with the USSR and there is a God and poor, there are always gonna be poor people and they, that is not the fault of the rich people. Yeah, there's, there's a whole list of them. Oh, wow. Yeah. Uh, you're, so here I was thinking I was saying something controversial. <laughs> you're a Rush Limbaugh. Uh, <laughs> I've said nothing. No. Not even remotely. No. We'll see when Shamika shows up and she'll say something controversial or more provocative uh, than Rush Limbaugh. All right, let me take care of a little business before we, I think we're gonna go to Steve Kim first, but uh, America needs change. But the center of that change has to be the family, your family. We can return to that time with our families and create moments for real conversation, but it's only then we can create the change we wanna see. It all starts at the dinner table. With time together as a family, Good Rancher's mission is to bring people to the table and that they really want you to know this. Making the, those moments around the table easy, accessible, and delicious is what they do best, and it's what they deliver in every single box. Good Ranchers guarantees you 100% American meat that's born, raised, and harvested here in the United States and delivered to your door. You will know exactly where it comes from and who you're supporting. I've personally tried it and love it. Now I know what you're thinking. It's not like one delivery is great and the next isn't, no. Every box has superior quality, flavor, and value. The T-bones, burgers, ribeyes, and even the chicken, it's all some of the best. Good Ranchers is a company that supports American agriculture, plus they support us and what we do. So go check them out, support those who support us. Make sure to use my promo code, FEARLESS, to get $30 off your order, plus get free express shipping. You can make gatherings at the table common again with Good Ranchers. Take advantage of this offer before it's gone. Go to goodranchers.com slash fearless to start bringing people to the table, creating change in America, and eating seriously delicious food from Good Ranchers, American meat delivered. 
All right, the Korean Cosell. X. All right, let's uh, roll out to Los Angeles and bring in uh, my favorite fearless contributor, uh, the Korean Cosell, uh, Steve Kim. Uh, I don't know who's, who's more provocative, the Korean Cosell or Shamok Show. Uh, Cosell, uh, Kim, uh, help me out here. Oh, you got some good fearless swag on. I love that. Uh, do we owe Brittany Griner and Megan Rapino and, and women athletes reparations uh, like they're demanding? Well, first of all, I'm going to get this right off the bat. There will be no great rape, ape references today. I'm staying 50 <laughs> feet away from that. There's going to be no Miguel Gorilla. None of that. Trust me. Okay, now. <laughs> In terms of the quote-unquote reparations for women and sports, you know what the reparations are? We allow you to have a league. They're playing. They're making money. This is maddening to me as an everyday working-class American, which I'm very proud of. I'm seeing these tweets saying, Brittany Griner only makes $220,000 in the WNBA. Okay, uh, let's not start a GoFundMe campaign, as I like to say. She's not at the soup kitchen. She's not getting her uh, next line of clothing at the Salvation Army or the Goodwill. Depending on your source, and it fluctuates, the average American salary is between forty-five dollars and $50,000 a year. Now, 220000 in most cities... That's a damn good living. Now, in San Francisco, you're probably destitute and you're living in a broom closet. But we all make our choices in life. But this whole notion of that Brittany Griner is being exploited and that she has to have a second job. The second job, by the way, she's not digging ditches. She's just playing basketball. But this kind of and then then they always bring up and this is where I'm going to defend LeBron and his forty one million dollar salary, because at forty one million dollars, poor guy needs to have me defend him. Right. They always compare. Well, he makes forty one million. Jason, this reminds me of that viral video that I know I passed on to you. Reminds me of that baby mama that had four different fathers. And she gets she gets upset at that one father that brings his one son McDonald's. Hey, ladies. Don't worry about LeBron's quarter pounders. Be happy with your one Big Mac because basically when it relates to the WNBA, that is an entitlement package provided by the NBA. That's the reality. Steve, I I got in a little trouble uh, yesterday for basically saying I don't have a lot of sympathy uh, (laughs) for Brittany Griner uh, and what she's going through in in Russia. And I referenced – uh, the movies Midnight Express and Broke Down Palace and just like that I've always had this fear of getting arrested in a foreign country and I don't understand why Brittany Griner didn't have that fear and by the way she pleaded guilty today yeah. uh, over in Russia they, they say that's kind of a formality she had no choice to do it but I want do you have a lot of sympathy for what Brittany Griner is enduring right now you mean for her game of Russian roulette No, I I really don't. You know, when I go into a foreign country, specifically one like Russia, I wouldn't bring my nutritional uh, products. I wouldn't bring Flintstone vitamins. 
I'm, I'm being dead serious. And we have to go out there and play by the rules. And you know what's funny? You, I want to tie this into something that I watched about three weeks ago. And I hope you're sitting down. It looks like you are. Um, I actually enjoyed the three-part 30 for 30 on the 1996 Women's U.S. Olympic basketball team. I got into it. I enjoyed it. And you know what? I had great feelings for most of those players, starting with Lisa Leslie from L.A., because they were patriotic. They loved our country. They played for the right reasons. But there was this one segment when they were marketing this. The WNBA actually took a hold of this and said, "Okay, we're going to be the sponsors. And when they started doing their promotional packages, they made it a point that the women that were involved in that team, whether it was Cynthia Cooper or Cheryl Swoops, they all had to look feminine. Some of them were a little bit uncomfortable with it, but they understood that there was a bigger picture. Jason, you've referenced this before. The way they look nowadays is a little bit of a turnoff. Let's just be honest with a lot of middle America. The other thing is, individually with Brittany Griner, when she kept wagging the finger at most Americans and basically in her own taciturn way saying most Americans are prejudiced, and then you want to take knees and have protests on behalf of Jacob Blake, you're going to turn off people. So a person like Brittany Griner simply is not going to engender a lot of sympathy. What's that old saying, Jason? The energy you give is the energy you get. I think she's learning a very harsh lesson there. Steve, I think you make an excellent point. I don't even think it's middle America. Just... Brittany Griner and all the tattoos, and at one point I think she was wearing a nose ring and uh, the hairstyle and the whole, and, and I want to be crystal clear here, when Brittany Griner was a player at Baylor, I think her freshman year, I became friends with Kim Mulkey, the, the head coach at Baylor. I, I'm t- I've been a Brittany Griner fan and rooting for Brittany Griner. She has not evolved the way that I had hoped and that I'm not going to speak for Kim Mulkey because I don't know, but, you know, Brittany Griner has made consistent choices that have put me at odds with her and I I just, the appearance, the the whole tatted up thing and all that, it's just unattractive. I don't think that's middle America. I think that's most of America. Uh, and it, it's, look, sex appeal works for men and women. Yeah. You know, one of the reasons why Michael Jordan was such a big star is because women found him sexy. And, uh, you know, there's a reason why athletes wear uniforms that show off their bodies. It's part of the sex appeal of, of the whole TV show. And so, let Steve, before I circle back to you, I want to ask Jill, do yeah. you have a lot of sympathy for what, Britney's going through in Russia. Are you part of the free Britney Griner movement? I think that, you know, every U.S. citizen I would like to have come home at, at some point. But when you look at Britney's actions and she, the, the legal team, I watched the live stream this morning on Reuters when they were just outside of the courtroom and they were saying, oh, Britney, she pled guilty. She understands that she did what she did and she needs to be held accountable. And they said, oh, she's a role model in our society and she needs to understand her actions have consequences. And it's it's one of those things that when you're in a foreign country, Britney's trying to live USA Britney in Russia. And that's not the way that they work. Russia has, you know, they, they have a lot of laws banning 
gay promotion to minorities. Putin went through in 2013 and said, you cannot promote gay culture in our minorities or in our uh, uh, minors. You can't you can't go through and, and do that. And it's like trying to bring all of our United States values and imposing that in Russia, I think would play a role in this because it's not a huge offense. It's, you know, little vape cartridges or whatever, but that is still illegal in Russia. And I would be doing everything I could not to be a part of that. I work a world junior tournament every year for NHL Network. And the next one this year over Christmas and New Year's was supposed to be in Russia before all these geopolitical tensions were escalating. The last time it was there was the year before I started. So about 10 years ago. And they were in Ufa, Russia. And there was a very white American man, and he was in his part of town where he wasn't supposed to be and kind of got cornered by some Russians. And he had a German minor and could speak fluent German. And he said, no, 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 I'm, I'm not an American. I'm German. And he talked his way out of it, got back to his group and back to his hotel. But it's just not a, a way that you would want to go out on a limb as an American in Russia. So I do have sympathy for her because mm. I don't I don't want her you know to be rotting in jail forever, but you have to understand things are different. There's a cluelessness to Brittany and a lot of athletes, and I used to be one, and I used to be very clueless uh, because again, when you spend so much time focused on developing your physical body, a lot of times that doesn't leave a lot of time to uh, develop your worldview and your intellectual uh, part of of yourself. And so to not realize, hey, yes, I'm making this million dollars or whatever over here playing basketball in Russia, but I'm in a country that's really, really hostile to my lifestyle and, uh, and has some pretty hard and fast rules as it relates to drugs. She's completely unaware of all of that. And that, that's what Steve baffles me. You live out there in Los Angeles. I'm a big Bill Plasky fan. I think he's a great columnist. He wrote a column the other day that basically blamed America Ugh. for what's going on with Brittany Griner in Russia. And I'm like, make this make sense for me. Russia's got all the hostility towards black people, gays, Americans. They're the ones that have incarcerated. How is this America's fault? Th that just completely baffles me. And, and, and how come we can't like hold Brittany Griner to a standard? She's 31. She's played abroad for a number of years. Do some homework. This isn't a 17-year-old kid. This isn't Michael Fay in Singapore doing something stupid as a kid. This is a grown woman that's traveled abroad for many, many years, who's, who's clueless. So again, that undermines some of well, my sympathy. Again, Bill Plasky, all right, Bill, you get to go to the cookout. You're invited, get to go to the cookout, you're good. Here's the reality, though, of, of mainstream corporate media in that role. Even if you felt a different way, there's two dynamics here. Number one, you may not be able to express that, hey, that's Britney's fault. That's on her. She broke the laws and she must be accountable. Number two, and I'm not saying this about Bill, because Bill's a pretty courageous guy, even though I may disagree with him on this particular stance. A lot of guys don't want the blowback. A lot of women do not want the blowback of flat out saying, no, that's her fault. It's on her. 
and then they don't want i mean look you literally had l duncan old lel saying i'm gonna be courageous by not reading my comments yeah okay that's not exactly like washington crossing the delaware so i mean again a lot of people are afraid of the blowback that's the reality and jason another thing i want to say about that that um the dream on 30 for 30 lisa leslie the most poignant moment of that it actually kind of got me a little bit uh emotional on her behalf she started tearing up a little bit because she said during the olympics in atlanta when they started to draw really great crowds that for the first time in her life she really felt like americans american sports fan the general public started to root for them and she tried to relate it like you know as young female black athletes we never felt the love and i was like i kind of like get her point but then my counter to that would be, well, why wouldn't we root for you? You're representing our country. You're very relatable. You're actually very patriotic. And the way, the way you conduct yourselves is something that should be admired. Why wouldn't we cheer for that? I, the, the thing that I got, the takeaway that I got from the Dream On, and, and I'm relating, relating it to Brittany Griner and the We Are Brittany t-shirts, because, you know, those hashtags always do a lot, right, is that those women in 1996 um, – they deserve credit for being pioneers in helping launch the WNBA. The current WNBA players should be put on the microscope for actually moving that whole message backwards. No one wants to say it, but let's be honest. Um, you said it. I back it up. When you watch some of those things, you're like, you know what? Nah, I'm good. I'm good. I would, if, if I'm a parent, and I've got a seven, eight-year-old child. And again, because my dad, my reason I'm a NBA fan is my dad used to take me and my brother to the Pacers ABA games as little kids. I was five, six years old. That's where my passion for sports started. And so if you're a parent and you're taking your five, six-year-old daughter uh, to WNBA games and everybody's all tatted up, and everybody is pro-smoking weed, and they let you know it in every way possible. Why does a parent want to take their kid <laughs> to that and hold them up as some sort of, of idol? I think that what you said about being a fan of Brittany Griner at Baylor has some weight to it because I see a lot of young girls going with their parents to women's college basketball games. And that's a product that a lot of people are starting to support, right? It's their team, they already are invested with it. This is something that, that families can get behind. But to your point, when they go off on their own and they do start making good money, and by the way, that $220,000 is for a couple months of the year, not your yearly salary for all you sitting at home that are working every week. This is just what Brittany makes over the summer. Uh, but then you go out and you have those freedoms and you say, okay, I'm gonna get the tattoos, we're gonna smoke weed, we're gonna do all this, and we're gonna live our lifestyle and be authentically us. Well, society is telling you that they don't like that. So adjust if you want to or not, it's up to you. But the dollars that are going to be coming in are going to be a reflection of that. Well, what yeah. they have figured out, though, and this is kind of my overall message, is they don't have to get in alignment with what society wants. Corporate America has stepped in and said, you know what, we're going to pay you regardless because we owe it to you. And we've, we've treated you wrong for so many years 
that, you know what, even though your salary should be 25000 a year, we're going to pay you 220000 uh, the WNBA is going to subsidize and we'll throw some of our NBA advertising dollars over to you guys. And, and so we're, we're like fueling the counterculture and uh, the culture that, you know, the rest of society is rejecting. We're now paying for and, and, and financing out of this feeling of guilt and debt that somehow uh, Brittany Griner is a symbol of, of the mistreatment that women have endured for hundreds of years in America, and let's make it up to them by overpaying them. And I just reject the whole notion that they were mistreated for hundreds of years. Steve, I'll give you the final word, and I'm going to let you, oh, then we'll get to an approval rating on Brittany Griner. Go ahead. Give me the final yeah. word here, though. And you talk about Brittany Griner and her de-evolution, if you want to call it that, for lack of a better word. Look, I'm not going to be judgmental. You could put a nose ring. You could put uh, you could have your ears pierced 14 different ways. And you could, look, you could be. The problem is when you have that much ink, more ink than the front page of the L.A. Times, there's going to be a certain segment of the public that is not going to enjoy it. Uh, I go back to Lisa Leslie as I'm watching her. And I she went to the same years of high school that I did. I would say that she was one of the most dominant athletes during my time from about 86 87 to 1990 she literally scored jason and i think she went to inglewood high she scored 111 points one time in a game that's how dominant she was and i went to montebello high school we all knew of her then when she went to usc she did great things but as you watch her now and this is a point that i think i'm going to belabor she is very elegant she's very feminine and she has parlayed that into a media career. I think she's done some modeling. She's the type that can make Vogue magazine, Ebony or Jet, or Sports Illustrated. And everybody could say, wow, she's a great example of a person that is continually evolving, and she's very polished. At what point did it become something negative to be feminine? You're still ladies. I know you're playing a sport but again, as you watch the WNBA, you're right. If you are a father, that's I, I'm not exactly sure those are the role models that you want when you look at some of those things. All right, uh, let's get to our approval rating on Brittany Griner. Uh, I believe I'm going to go first, uh, followed by Jill and then Steve. Uh, job performance. Uh, yeah, I think she's a six, seven-time WNBA All-Star. Uh, she may have some trouble playing this season. We'll see. Uh, you know, even despite this guilty plea today, I was reading that the trial could still go on for weeks, even months, despite her pleading guilty today. The Russian uh, criminal justice system a little, quite a bit different than ours. But I gave her a twenty in uh, job performance. I gave her a 20 in job performance as well. And just to talk a little bit more about the Russian legal system, even if you're acquitted, they can overturn that. And there is 99% uh, conviction rate over there in Russia. So good luck with that one, Brittany. We wow, you guys are more charitable than the Salvation Army. I gave her a zero, guys. You got to do the job. You got to be on the job. She ain't on the job. She gets a flat zero, nothing, not a zippo zilch. Show up to the job. Uh, she still made the all-star team. They're, they're, uh, still, they're still throwing her in there. 
Okay, and first I, I want to recap. I, I want to recap those votes. Jeez. I'm going to plead ignorance here. Is the WNBA season going on right now? Yeah. Oh, it is? Oh, I'm sorry. Yeah, I guess she's not doing her job then. Uh, <laughs> I didn't know when it, it went on. Uh, character, uh, I, I gave her some points here in character, you know, because a six foot eight, six foot nine woman, that, that's a tough road to hoe. Uh, I'm just, so I have some sympathy for uh, in, in that regard. You know, the tats and just everything else, I'm not on board with. So I gave her 11 in character. The entitlement of it and just looking at it and the fact that she's able to take a knee for the national anthem in the United States, she would not be able to do that in Russia. Good luck trying to pull that stunt over there. I gave her a two. Mm. Yeah, you know, Ooh, character, yeah. I, I'm not a fan of hers at, at all in any ways. I was going to give her, and you're going to love this, Jason, because it's not a zero or a five. I was going to give her a three, but since she gets most of her points in the paint, I'm going to go with a two. <laughs> <laughs> all right. Uh, wow, you didn't go with a, a, a yeah. five or a number that ends in zero. <laughs> That's good for you. Steve has trouble with math. Authenticity. <laughs> Uh, I think she's relatively authentic, uh, so I gave her a 14 in authenticity, although the, the reason it's not higher is because, you know, now she's writing letters to Biden talking about how patriotic she is, and she celebrates the 4th of July hmm. and thinks about all the soldiers. Is that what you're thinking about when you're, on the, on, you're taking a knee as well during the National Anthem? I gave her a 14 in authenticity. I gave her a 22 because I think that she truly believes what she does is right. I don't agree with it, but as her being authentic to herself, I think that she's a true believer. Mm. I'm kind of with Jill here. I think she's authentically bitter and delusional. I actually gave her a 20. She does truly believe a lot of the stuff she spouts off. I don't have to agree with it, but I respect her right to believe it. Uh, It factor, this is tough, uh, but... You know, I got to give her, look, she's six foot eight, six foot nine. She's all tatted up. It's hard to miss her. Anybody that sees her goes, that's Brittany Griner. They're, they're not mistaking her for Lolo Jones or, uh, <laughs> or I don't, uh, Venus Williams. That's Brittany Griner. So I, I gave her a one uh, for it factor. All that, all that notoriety yeah. gets her a one. I gave her a four. Listen, not much better, but the fact that she does have, you know, a free Britney movement and she's making the all-star team without even playing. Hey, you got something about you. There's something it there. You got a good nickname, BG. There you go. How about yeah. that? Okay, so if a tree falls in the forest and there's no one here to, to really hear it, does it make a sound? So if a WNBA player is arrested in Russia, does anyone give a damn? No! She's a WNBA player. None of them have the it factor. She gets a zero. She gets a zero. Mm, uh, well, Jill and I both have her at candlelit. I got her at a 46, Jill at 48. Uh, Steve, a sexist, Ooh. evil man, uh, has her at 22 in a dumpster fire. You're what's wrong with America, Steve. Uh, thank you. Thank you for playing. Uh, Good. Keep it moving. Uh, Shamika Michelle. X. Get ready for the greatest roast of all time, the Roast of Tom Brady, 
a Netflix live event happening May 5th, hosted by Kevin Hart. The seven-time world champion gets his cleats held to the fire by famous friends and frenemies on an unforgettable night where everything is fair game. Tune in on May 5th at 5 p.m. Pacific time for The Roast of Tom Brady, live only on Netflix. All right, let's uh, roll out to uh, North Carolina and bring in uh, Shamika Michelle. Uh, Shamika, I, I want you to put your hand over the Bible and raise your other hand, and I want you to promise not to cause any controversy today. Uh, I need you on your best behavior. Okay, I'll do my best. <laughs> I don't even... You know, Leslie Jones blocked me as well. So, you know, you, oh, did you ended, she? Yeah, you've ended my relationship with Leslie Jones as well. I'm sorry. I know you're heartbroken. Uh, she blocked me. She told me this wasn't going to end well, but now I can't see the ending. So, you know, whatever. <laughs> she should really just. It's not a happy ending, Shamika. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> For anybody, I'm sure. I'm going to leave that alone. I'm, I'm going to leave that alone and return to our conversation here about uh, women and Brittany Griner and just I'm making the argument that uh, women in the feminist movement have convinced us, have convinced men and society at, at large that women, particularly American women, are owed an apology and reparations. Uh, do you think we, that you are and women as a whole are owed an apology and reparations? Jason, I do. I do think that men owe us an apology. And if, if they do, it is for not taking their rightful place sooner and letting us get out of hand. When we look at what's going on in America, when we look at the cultural rot, I believe part of that is women being out of place. And this entire idea that we live in a patriarchal society where men just want to oppress us is a lie. It's not real. When we even look back to um, women wanting the right to vote, I believe overall men have been overly benevolent and bent over backwards for women. When they said they wanted the right to vote, men who were in positions of power said, okay, you know, I don't care how much they marched or how many picket signs they had, it was the men in power that gave them the right to do so. When they said, we want to be a part of the workforce because we are your equal, men said, okay, you want to leave our children, the ones that you were created to nurture, you want to pass them off the responsibility to someone else and join the workforce with us? Okay. Oh, wait, and I'm going to have to have a hungry man dinner because you're not going to be here to, to cook for me. Okay. Oh, and wait, that's not it. Tonight when I go to touch you, you're going to roll over and claim that you have a headache. So I'm going to have to subscribe to Playboy to pleasure my 
myself because you want to be equal to men. Well, happy wife, happy life. Men have bent over backwards for women and said, okay. So they have not tried to be oppressive. If anything, they have been overly nice and really trying to give women what they want. And as we look around, that has been a cause of the downfall of society that we are seeing. Men being too nice. Men haven't been oppressive at all. When I think about my great grandfather, I can't imagine him going out, working all day long, and then coming home and having to, to do hair or to cook. But this is what we see for men today. Men have had to evolve and become more feminine to make up for women trying to be more masculine. I've seen videos of men uh, doing, trying to do their daughter's hair. And you see women applauding it saying, oh my God, that's so great. That's the type of man I would like. So let me get this straight. You want your man to be your protector, your provider, and a bitch? We, we, come on, men are not oppressive. If anything, they have been overly nice. I, I wanna make a couple of pop culture references uh, to, and I want you and Jill to respond to this and to kind of respond to your take that, and Sarika, did you watch the TV show Mad Men? I didn't. Jill, did you see Mad Men? I did not, but I know a lot about it. Okay. Uh, Shamika, I know you've seen the movie The Color Purple. Yes. Uh, and, oh, you've seen The Color Purple too? Yep. Okay, well, well, we'll go with that then. The Color Purple and the TV show Mad Men showed what they believe were oppressive men taking advantage of women. And, and so that narrative that you just spelled out, that men haven't been oppressive to women, they haven't taken advantage of women and people on the other side were like, what, what do you mean? Didn't, didn't, you, didn't you see Color Purple? Didn't you see Mad Men? And, and I say that to say there are men who were abusive and took advantage of their power in the workforce to take advantage of younger women or women in general. Uh, there were men in long ago time that was represented in the movie Color Purple that abused women physically and all that. What do you say to that, to the people who would say, well, what do you mean men weren't impressive? You know, domestic abuse uh, used to be virtually legal. Uh, a woman couldn't deny a man sex. There was no rape inside of a marriage. What do you say to that? I definitely think it, well, first of all, I don't believe that there's rape inside of a marriage, but that's a whole nother topic. But I do think that there were men who were abusive. I don't think it was overall, and I don't think it was to the capacity that they want us to believe to the point where now, where now you have to have women still constantly fighting, saying that they don't have rights and that they need to fight a patriarchal society and that this is evil and masculinity is toxic. I don't believe that that's the case. I think most men did what they were supposed to do. When I look at the men in my family, they did what they were supposed to do by women. Do I know of cases of, of abusive men? Of course I do. It exists. It still exists. But I don't think it was to the degree that they've tried to claim it was. 
Yeah, I'm with Shamika on that one. Of course it existed in our society, but they do try and say, oh, it was it was the broad stroke that, you know, everybody was out there doing that. But I don't believe it because, you know, another movie, I don't know if you've seen on Netflix, but there was a four-part series, ironically enough, done by LeBron James and, and his group of self-made, uh, The Life of Madam C.J. Walker. Yeah, and, Minneapolis. Yeah, mm. and so I look back at that, and, you know, this is the time where she became... She had her own business that she created and she worked her way up and, you know, eventually she left her husband that was doing her wrong and continued on with her business and eventually became neighbors with Rockefeller, right? Like that happened in America in the early 1920s, right? Like that was also out there. So just to say that you had to live one lifestyle well, there was already proven that you didn't have to live that lifestyle. Someone was able to go out there and do it. And she became the first billionaire in, in American history for, for a female. And I, I look at that and say, OK, yeah, for every one down story, there's going to be a positive story that you just don't hear about. Madam C.J. Walker, I think she was the first millionaire. Millionaire, sorry. Uh, I didn't, yeah. But yeah, she's from In the 1920s, that would yeah. have been something if you yeah. were a billionaire. <laughs> yeah, no doubt. And and. She from Indianapolis, I'm from Indianapolis, been to the Madam C.J. Walker building, heard stories about her for years. Some of that, I think, in, in LeBron and their, their four-part series exaggerated, but th- that, that's what all uh, TV and movies do. Your overall point is accurate, that uh, you know, women, there were opportunities for women. Was it the easiest road? No. Is the path I've chosen, is it the easiest path? No. Uh, but there's, this is the land of, of opportunity. And, and so I, I, I just want to, and, and again, I'm not embarrassing Shamika by saying this because she's been very honest on this show. It's interesting to hear you say that, Shamika, about you think the domestic abuse and, and men taking advantage of women is exaggerated, given the fact that you're the product of rape, that your mother was raped and that's how you, and so to hear your perspective given your unique history uh, is fascinating to me. Could you expound why aren't you defined, or why wasn't your mother defined by bitterness about being abused by a man? You know, I do think that my mother suffers, of course, from repercussions from that happening. I can see it. But as far as trying to make me bitter or angry, she never went that far. You know, that was nothing that I had to deal with. I was raised in the house with three uncles. My mother was really the only person that I knew who experienced that. So when it came to all of the rest of the women in my family, I saw them in relationships with men. I didn't see them being abused. I didn't see them being mistreated. So for me, it didn't overshadow the goodness that I saw in men, the goodness that I saw in my uncles and the way they treated me like I was the best thing since sliced bread. That's what I saw. That's what I had the, a, a chance to experience for myself. So although I knew this happened to her, it wasn't like every woman I encountered had this horror story. She had hers, but then I had the the 
uh, ability. And I was grateful to see so many other stories. I talk a lot about my next door neighbor who I would watch as a little girl. She would come outside during the day and she would tend to the yard and cut her flowers and make sure everything was pretty. Her husband went out every day to work. Every day he came home, she made him homemade biscuits every single day for dinner. There were times that I would get to go over there and watch her take the lard out and roll the dough and cut the biscuits. This was I got to see these things. So although I had the knowledge of knowing that my mother had gone through a horrific experience, I got to see so many other great examples. So the horrific experience just did not have the effect on me and make me bitter that some would think because I had so many other positive things to look at. I'm going to ask both of you a potentially inappropriate question. But that's why they call the show Fearless. Uh, <laughs> why are both of you guys single? How come you're not married? They make toxic, toxic masculinity a bad thing out there in society. There's, there's not a lot of it left out there, Jason. It's, it's a lot harder. When I lived on the West Coast for 13 years, Oregon, San Francisco, there, there wasn't a lot that I was like, oh, you know what? That's the one. Uh, so now finding, and I was on the road a, a lot for covering sports. Every weekend I was gone. Come to find out the men aren't as secure with that when, when you're the one that's going out and, and leaving all yeah, the time. Yeah, I wouldn't like it. Yeah. So I, I wouldn't like it. Th those are just a couple <laughs> of the reasons that I'll say I, that's why. I'll have to tag that right now. I think my purpose is to be doing fearless. I could easily settle down with the man and live off the grid and just be his happy little wife. I would be happy doing that. But I think right now God's purpose for me is to have a bigger platform to actually teach people what I've learned in life and I would want to be in a place that when my husband, if he were to ever say, you can't do fearless, I would say, Jason, I'm sorry, I can't do fearless and not feel like I am disobeying God because my first priority would be my husband. And if he said I couldn't do this, I wouldn't do it. So I think right now, this is what God would have me to do. And this is what I'm focused on. All Give right. me a few more years. I might be going off the grid. I don't know. <laughs> the, the way that this whole thing's going. I don't, yeah, I don't think. I, I, I think I told, I told Bobby and Anthony in one of the first harmonies that I was going to become one of those bearded Quakers or what, what are they? What, are they called Quakers or whatever? Uh, but that I was going to adopt their lifestyle. That that that's that's the things have gotten so crazy that I think those guys have got it right move away from all this technology the and, Amish yeah the Amish yeah that's who I'm thinking of the Amish and live like them and you'll see me somewhere in a horse and carriage uh, with 10 kids in the back and a miserable wife sitting next to <laughs> All right, go to YouTube.com slash Jason Whitlock. Hit notifications, hit subscribe. Uh, TJ Moe, uh, we'll let him wrap this up for us. Next.
right, welcome back. Uh, time to bring in the Show Me Kid, TJ Moe. Uh, TJ, I want to reframe our discussion with you this way. Uh, I'm arguing there's a war between the sexes, the feminist movement against biblical worldview and against men, and, and the feminist movement is winning. They've convinced us all that we owe them reparations, but do, mm. do you think I'm right in arguing that there's a war between the sexes globally, but certainly here in America most acutely? Yeah, I think it's mostly here in America. If you, you, we take a lot of our social cues from movies and, um, you know, it's like you will see oftentimes in movies where the, there's a young girl falling in love and she goes to talk to her parents and they're like, Hey, um, she's like, I just don't know what to do. And, and the dad will say, well, does he make you happy? Like they've just decided that that's all that marriage is. Does he make you happy? Uh, and it, it, it is such a stupid approach. And it is, you know, the, the, the reality is when you're talking about marriage, a good father would say, hey, will he provide for you? Can you rely on him? How's his work ethic? Is he going to protect you? Do you trust him? And instead of saying, like, here's what a man's job is. A man's job is to do a lot of different things. Is he committed to Jesus? Is he going to be a, your spiritual leader? We've broken it down to, is he going to make you happy, right? And then if you go that low, then what you see oftentimes on Valentine's Day. Don't ever waste your time and get on social media on Valentine's Day because you will see all the single women say, I don't need no man to make me happy because that's all that men have been boiled down to is, well, I'm independent and I don't need them. You know, it's like back in Bible times, actually, this was true even in, in the United States into the uh, early years. This was true in China and Russia into the 20th century. We used to have arranged marriages because we had an understanding, I, by the way, I'm not advocating for going back to arranged marriages, but we had an understanding that you each had a role to play and that you guys need to be equally yoked in what you're doing. And so men were to provide a certain role within a marriage and a household and provide stability and protection and provisions for the family. And the woman was to raise the children and the house and be great. And you guys each needed each other. You were on equal footing, but you needed each other. And this feminist movement has decided that men are oppressive and that they don't play any role other than making you happy. And you don't even need them to do that. So back off guys. What do we need you for? So I, I think it is, we've moved into such a stupid place societally that we've forgotten all of the needs that we have amongst each other and, um, and, and backed into the place that you're discussing. I'm going to ask Jill to respond to that first, because that I find it, uh, interesting what you just said. I think it piggybacks off of what Shamika was kind of saying that like men keep acquiescing to the demands of women because we think it's our job to make them happy. But how did that what TJ just said sound to you as a woman? Do, are you looking for a man to make you happy? Um, I think that 
it's very accurate the way that it is. It's the lowest common denominator in our society every way possible, whether it's between a man and a woman or, or culturally, what, whatever we're looking for right now. It's like, okay, yes. how low can we go and, and still just say, it's my choice, it's my freedom, it's whatever I want to do. It's not whatever God says is best for us. It's whatever is going to make me happy, my truth, right? The, the fact that we have come in and said, my truth, not the <laughs> truth. That that whole narrative needs to go away, in my opinion, because it's not individual people don't have individual truths. That can't be true as a whole in society. And when you look at what are men's roles, it is to provide, right? Like we were saying at the very top of the show, like he used to have to go out and hunt and, and do all of the things that, that would provide for the family, the shelter, right? Like Maslow's hierarchy of needs. We have gotten so high on that chart that we don't think that we need the foundation anymore. We can't see down to the base level of what we are supposed to be as men and women. You know, I asked uh, Shamika and Jill, you know, how come they're single? And, and I really, was like, fair question to ask myself, well, how come you're, <laughs> you're single, Whitlock? And literally listening to your answer helped clarify something for me that has made me a bit of an oddball within my family, uh, within the way I conduct myself with my family, because I really, and, and again, and some people would credit, I really spend very little time thinking about how I can make someone happy. And that makes me an oddball. What I do spend a lot of time thinking about is how can I make someone feel protected, safe, secure, uh, their needs are met. And so I'm gonna, and, and again, I, I could, I don't wanna call names because, you know, some of the women I've dated are married now and they, they don't need the burden of having to, you used to date Whitlock? So I, so I relate a lot of stories to my relationship with my mother. Typical woman, she, you know, I, I say this with no negativity, I just say it factly, typical leftist, democratic priestess, and, and where we struggle a lot in our relationship from time to time is like, I don't have an interest, I don't think it's my job to make her happy. I do think it's my job to make sure she's provided for, and I bend over backwards to make sure all of her needs are met and that she feels safe and, and she can go out into the world knowing, you know what, my basics are covered. House, car, allowance. Uh, if something goes wrong, me or my brother's gonna show up to make sure it goes right. But again, as it relates, cause TJ mentioned like Valentine's Day or whatever. And again, I can't say that I'm right about my approach to Christmas and other holidays but I really don't spend a lot of time thinking about those things. And people's birthdays, I don't spend a lot of time thinking about. I really think about like, I want people to believe, particularly the women in my life, man, Whitlock's got my back. That, that, that is my, and, and it doesn't work as effectively in a society where we've defined, 
does Whitlock make me happy? I don't think I can make someone else happy. I really don't, because I don't know if there are other people who can make me happy in a sustained way. Now, momentary fits of happiness, uh, perhaps, but my happiness comes from me and my relationship with God. And I don't want to put the burden on someone else of, it's your job to make me happy. That's a really difficult job. I think that's a huge problem in society is that we expect someone else to make us happy when happiness is an inside job. Nobody else can make you happy. They can do nice things for you. They can provide things, you know, and, but at the end of the day, it's a choice that you make every day, that it's going to be how you live your life, the things that you do, determining your happiness yourself. Uh, TJ, oh, I'm sorry, go ahead, TJ. No, yeah, I want to, I'm going to add one thing. I've been married for, I'm coming up on four years here in August, I think. Um, I, my wife doesn't watch the show, so she won't correct me. Um, but I'm telling you, so when you're dating, you, the gatekeeper is physical attractions, right? In order to even get through the door, you have to be physically attracted. But I'm telling you, as soon as you clear that bar, the physical attraction attraction drops so low on the value list if you know what you're doing. And I think we don't know what we're doing typically when you're looking for marriage. That stays at the top and you're like, hey, but she's so hot. And then you marry a girl that you have nothing in common with. You have no values in common. You don't see the world the same. You don't have the same religious beliefs. She's not a very good mother. She doesn't care. You know, it's like, what was I doing? She's just so hot and that's going to wear off in 10 years instead of like, okay, she's, sh I'm attracted to her. Now that's like, I, I don't know, maybe value number 15. Is she a great mother to my kids? Will she work hard if we're in need and we have to make it to get by? Will she trust me? Is she trustworthy? It's like, there are so many things. And these were, these, these values were um, taught to me by my parents who have a great marriage and have been married for 30 or 40 years. So I saw all of that. Uh, it's taught in the church and stuff. I just think marriage in general and why guys and girls are pitted against each other oftentimes is because it's so shallow. The looks thing that Jill was, uh, Jill was talking about making it the lowest common denominator. The looks thing is such a low bar, such a low common denominator. We can all see it and feel it. But the reality is within a marriage, it's like, my wife would not tell you that I'm better looking than Brad Pitt. If she could have got Brad Pitt, I don't know if she would have married Brad Pitt because Brad Pitt doesn't hold the other values that she wants, right? You've got to get with somebody who holds those values. And so that I think is as big a problem as anything is that we see, we, we have ma somebody make me happy and they better be really good looking on my arm as I take them out in public instead of how can we build a great life together independently happy I'm, I'm down in the basement working and having fun and doing all my stuff, but then we go live our lives together. And so all of that plays into what you're saying, I think, where there's, there's just such a gross misunderstanding of the expectations that one gender should have of the other that it leads to a fight. TJ, what do you think about my argument that all these technological advances have undermined because the thing, again, if we went back to the 1700s, 1800s, maybe even early 1900s, that looks, again, would get you in the door, but a woman would be looking for, and men would be looking for more 
sustainable values than just looks because they were a necessity. Mm. (laughs) If a man had no work ethic and no ambition, uh, that would really destroy you in earlier times and generations. But now there's so much government assistance. There's so much... uh, life is so much easier. You don't have to have a great work ethic. You don't have to have great reliable values. Uh, you don't have to have much ambition. And so things that, that used to be really important and people would make decisions on marriage based off of things like that, you just don't have to do as much now because of all the technological advances. I think that's true. And it really puts a big hole in the argument that men are so sexist, because I think most of these technological advances were created by men that actually opened the doorway for women to join the workplace. You know, you look at all the tech billionaires and everybody, they're all men. You know, Mark Zuckerberg, Jeff Bezos, Elon Musk, you go, there's not very many women that were creating these major technological advances to actually allow women to come into the workforce. Um, so it goes back to what Shamika was saying a little bit, like men have really tried hard to allow women to to come into a place where they could be a bigger part of the workforce and society because back as back when it was just laborious work, they couldn't do that. I think that's a really good point. It, it something I was thinking about. Everybody thinks that um, or the the feminists and the leftists will say argue that everything is the the wage gap and the attention gap in women's sports and all this is 100% due to sexism. I think it's based on biology, exactly what you're saying here. Men are bigger, taller, faster, have denser bones, more muscle mass. They were physically built for labor, right? Um, it's biblical. They were tending to the garden. Eve was made to be his helper. It's all biblical stuff in Genesis 2. And so, you know, you've got, you've got idiots like um, Boris Johnson in his resignation speech. I, I uh, wish I didn't listen to it today now that I heard it, but he uh, uh, this this morning, the now former prime minister of the UK uh, capped off his um, failure of a tenure with an insanely stupid speech. He said, I believe genius and talent and enthusiasm and imagination are evenly distributed throughout the population, but opportunity is not. And I'm like, evenly distributed? Then... But on a micro scale, that is idiotic. Person to person, that is absolutely idiotic. But even on a, if you're trying to group them, then why is 70% of the NFL black? Because black men tend to be better athletes than white men. That's a fact. Look at the NBA. So we have this really stupid idea that we're all created equal with talent. We're all created equal in the eyes of the law. We are not all created equal with imagination and talent. Jason, if I had your talent, I'd have my own show. I don't have your talent, right? That, it's just the reality that many of us have to come to grips with and find the gifts that allow you to make a living in life and be in a good place. Well, we instead say, Boris Johnson's right. I have every bit as much talent as Jason Whitlock. And the only reason I don't have my own show is because the patriarchy hates me. Right. Or whatever your excuse might be. Uh, One of the other stupid things to to add to this is women make up more than half of the United States population. They're actually more men than women. Are women more women than men? I'm sorry. Thank you. More women than men. 
are women just as sexist as men? Because they're not showing up to these WNBA games either. It's like they've got a bunch of empty stadiums everywhere. If you, if you actually believed what you were saying, wouldn't you go to the women and say, hey, can you all start supporting us so that we can make some money so that we can get paid like the guys? And wouldn't the women be more sympathetic towards your movement considering they would believe what you're saying if it were actually true? But instead, you've got whatever it is, 51 percent of the population that are women, you know, 160 million people not watching the WNBA either because it's not fun to watch and they're not as physically gifted as men. These are obvious biological facts. They would argue that women have been socialized into thinking like men and being just as sexist as men. And they and again, what they really are arguing is like women were forced to buy into this Bible BS and and again they they reject all of that they reject the entire biblical worldview and say that you know that's a book created by men to promote and instill the patriarchy and and again not that i remotely agree with them but that is their argument and that's why i'm trying to have these discussions and conversations you can't get them anyplace else and i'm trying to open people's mind the whole worldview you have bought into is hostile to your religious faith. It, it's yes. And if you have a minister that's preaching this hostility, th that he has sold you out and he's leading you astray, no different than Creflo Dollar in the conversation we were having, he'd led his uh, congregation astray on tithing for 30 years. There are ministers right now leading people astray about the role of men and women in society. And, and again, they don't understand. Everybody's looking back at history and saying, well, why didn't they think like us? Why didn't they, if they were uh, as smart or as evolved as us, they would have allowed women to vote earlier or from the very beginning if they knew that women were, and, and I'm like, well, hold on, man. When these guys were coming up and founding this country, it, it was so clear cut and everything was structured around man and woman getting together and forming a family because that was a thousand percent essential to your human survival, the whole family structure. And then they go to the Bible and it's like, well, you know what? The Bible's right. Based off the realities of our life, if we don't form families, man, woman and children, we can't survive. And, and, and the family unit used to represent the melding, marriage used to represent the melding of man and woman into one. And so it, one, we're one. Man's gonna mm. vote, he's taking the most risk, he's gonna die in wars, he's gonna go out here and do all this hard labor, he's gonna make the, and he, the Bible says he's the leader of our, of our family, he's gonna make the best decision for our family but again, the left has created it. Well, the only reason why women didn't have the right to vote instantly is because of sexism. <laughs> that, that's just a joke. It's just a distortion of history and the reality that they were living. I loved that point. I had never heard anyone discuss it in that manner. Uh, we were even talking before the show that the entire reason, the purpose of men being the vote is because it was so obvious. In fact, after I, I read that, I called my brother. He's like, my family would all vote the same way. It was so obvious that the man's vote was representative of the family. You know, it's interesting. I was reading in um, 
preparing for the show, I think it's gracechurch.org. So this is, this is not my original thought, but something I found interesting about the role of women and what has happened, because we know that women were seen as equal in the eyes of the Lord and yet still the helper of man. And so that's an interesting, um, to, you know, to juxtaposition there, it feels like. But the reality is, in Genesis 2, we know that God made Eve for the specific purpose of being Adam's helper. We're, we know this. It's the only thing that God made when he was creating the world that he said that was not good. Well, Genesis 3.16, a chapter later, the fall of man, he tells Eve, you will have great pain in childbirth. And the verse after that, or the uh, later in that verse, it says, your desire will be for your husband, and he will rule over you. Well, in the next chapter, Genesis 4-7, the author uses the same word desire when he's talking about sin to mean excessive control over, meaning that Genesis 3-16 would refer to a new desire on the part of women to exercise control over man. It's possible that this whole entanglement between men and women in this fight now is all a direct correlation, a, a direct result of the fall of man. And that now women, instead of just accepting that they are fully equal and also the helper of man, that they have this desire, and which according to the Bible would be a sinful desire, to hold control over men when that's their position to have. Certainly think that's the spot we're in. Jill, I'll, as a lady, I'll give you the final thought on today's show. If you have one, if not, we can just play tomorrow and get out of here. I will say that women today are, they have it so good that the only demographic that Joe Biden has not lost is suburban women. They are the only ones that don't have to play in this world that we're all living in right now. Of You know, everybody's dealing with inflation. They're like, hey, my life is great, Joe Biden keep going. We're doing well. Like they're the only ones who don't have to see what's actually going on in this country. That tells you how well suburban women currently have it. And by suburban women, you think you're basically saying they're married? Yeah. Suburb yeah. 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 Women in traditional families got it so good. That's Joe's demographic that he has not lost. He's actually gained since the election. Everybody else has gone down in, in the numbers for, for Joe. Everyone. Hmm. So marriage is the key to loving and supporting Joe Biden. If more people, <laughs> more people in happy marriages and provided for. Christian, is, is your wife a uh, Joe Biden supporter? No. No, 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 no. There's, you don't fit the profile, I guess. All right. There's tomorrow. Thank you, Jill. Thank you, TJ. Uh, we'll see you tomorrow. I just want, I wanna be, I just